Well, how's everybody doing today? You guys feeling good? Nice and crisp outside. My name is James. I am one of the pastors here at Riverview. So about 12 years ago, I uh, was playing basketball and I went up to uh, grab a rebound and the ball was a little bit out of my reach. And so um, I tried to tip the ball to myself and I felt this very funny, unpleasant feeling in my left ring finger here. And so I looked down and my finger had actually jammed straight down into my hand. So the top of my finger was about that much lower than it had normally been for my whole life previously. And um, I literally turned to my buddy Tim and I said, hey, pull my finger. And uh, he, 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 he laughed uh, until he actually saw my finger and then he was like, oh, and then he almost passed out because it was just so gross. And so we spent some time trying to pop my finger out of this um, situation. I went to the urgent care and the doc there said, um, your finger has been, has been dislocated, uh, but now it looks like it's back in place. He looked at the, uh, I was like, look at that. I fixed my own finger. And uh, he said, so just let it heal up. And um, so I was like, great. And so when your finger is dislocated like that, your only goal in life is making sure that nothing touches that finger. Um, like it's your, it's your complete mission statement is like anytime something gets near it, you're just like, ah. And um, so I had about three weeks of that and it wasn't getting any better. It was still swollen and nasty and I couldn't use it. And so I contacted my family doctor and he recommended that I go see a hand surgeon. Now up to that point in my life, beyond my family doctor and my dentist, I had never been to any other kind of doctor um, at all. I didn't even know hand surgeons were a thing. I did not, not, I'd never heard of that. And so maybe some of you younger folks can relate to that season in your life. Your body just sort of fixes itself for like, and then some of you other people like me are like, not anymore. Um, and so the hand doctor was super nice and he checked out my finger and he looked at the x-ray and he said, okay, you've torn the ligaments. Like, I guess there's a ligament down at the bottom there and in your hand and without surgery, you're never going to regain the full use of your finger. And I was like, what? And so I said, so you're recommending surgery. And he, he paused. I'll never forget this moment. He kind of looked at me and then he, he said, well, how old are you? <laughs> and I said, well, I'm 41 years old. And he said, the real question then becomes, can you live with it? And I was like, what does that mean? Like, he's like, well, if you were 20 years old, I'd recommend you get the surgery for sure. But at 41 years old, maybe not. And I was like, well, what do you mean? Like, what happens if I don't get the surgery? He says, well, you'll never have, you'll be fine. You'll be able to live fine. You just won't have full range of motion in your finger. And you'll probably have trauma-induced arthritis. Um, which I didn't know what that was either. And by the way, I'd never got the surgery, and this is precisely what happened. So I can't touch my other fingers with that left ring finger at all. I can't move it laterally, and it also doesn't flatten. And when it gets cold outside, it, my finger gets achy and crunchy. So I have this trauma-induced arthritis. And what I didn't know was um, at, seeing that hand doctor at the age of 41 was the first in a long line of specialists that I would begin to be seeing, right? It's become kind of this uh, annual ritual. I'm 53 years old now. Um, what kind of doctor have I never heard of that I will be visiting this year is kind of how it goes. So after a year, uh, the year like after I hurt my finger, I began having these like weird issues in my throat. So the people were like, you should go see the ENT. And I was like, 
why would I go see a paramedic? Like what would I, like the guy in the, in the, no, 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 ENT, ear, nose, throat. And so I went to see that person. And then after a lifetime of perfect 2015 vision, like I turned 45 and I could not read my phone. Like the next day, I was like, what is going on? Like, and um, so first trip to the eye doctor and now I got the glasses and I have to go see that. I've been to a shoulder, I had plantar fasciitis. I had to go to this foot guy. Um, I had this skin doc. Uh, We'll share that with my closest friends later about what happened there. I went back to the ENT because my nose got hit and my nose is all deformed and my nostril is collapsed and my septum's all twisted and everything. All of which has led me to a deeper appreciation of the Bible. Now, why, why the Bible, you ask? It's not just because I'm a pastor, but also because of this verse. In, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, listen to what it says here in, in verse 14. It says, For we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you. Indeed, everything is for your benefit, so that as grace extends through more and more people, it may cause thanksgiving to increase to the glory of God. Therefore, we do not give up. Here's the part right here. Ready? Even though our outer person is being destroyed, our inner person is being renewed day by day. See that? Outer is going down. Inner is going up. Something good's happening here, right? For our momentary light affliction is producing for us an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory. It should come as no surprise to us that our bodies, all of them, will eventually deteriorate because the reality is these bodies are very temporary, but there's hope. Paul says the one who raised Jesus, that's God himself, will also raise us with Jesus into an incomparable eternal weight of glory. Those who are in Christ will one day receive new bodies, bodies that will last forever. And our question for today is going to be this, do you believe that really? What if we lived our lives today as though we really believed that God will one day resurrect our bodies into a glorious eternal future? We're in the final week of this Apostles' Creed series, which has been fantastic uh, from my point of view. We've done a deep dive into some incredible truths about who God is about what Jesus has done and what Jesus will do, and about the implications those realities have on us as followers of Christ and as a community of faith, right? The truth we're looking at today, the very last phrase here in the Apostles' Creed is this, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, amen. Now, don't miss the amen. We're going to come back to this later. When we say amen at the end of a prayer, or in this case, at the end of this creed, this series of truths, it's not merely just like a period on the end of the sentence. The word means so be it. And it has implied in this, uh, in the Hebrew world, this, uh, this action 
kind of let's go do what we just said we were talking about kind of. It's a commitment to act upon what has just been stated. That's the amen. And so that's why we're going to begin by taking a look at the biblical foundation for these two truths, the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And then we're going to also look at living the amen. What are the implications? How do we actually walk? It's just a creed when it's on the paper. When we start living it, then it becomes a way of life, right? Now, when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body, we're saying at some point after earthly death, we believe every person will be resurrected into a new body, which raises a ton of questions, right? How long after we die do we get these new bodies? Uh, how old will we be in these new bodies? Will we recognize each other? Will we look like, is God taking requests, right? Like, could I get a different nose with my new body? Could I be a little taller or a little bit, whatever it might be, you know, whatever. How does this all work? And so Paul, uh, because the Bible is super helpful, addresses these questions here in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. We're going to spend a little bit of time in this last section of 1 Corinthians 15. And so you may want to find your way over there if you have your own uh, device or, or Bible. And we'll put the verses up here on the screen. But look at what it says here in, the, in verse 35. It says, But someone will ask, How are the dead raised? What kind of body will they have when they come? Same questions that, that we've been just looking at here. And verse 36, I love it. He says, you fool. Now this is just Paul saying, those are dumb questions. I'm not saying that. Paul said that, okay? I think they're good questions. Paul doesn't agree. You fool. What you sow does not come to life until it dies. And as for what you sow, you are not sowing the body that will be, but only a seed perhaps of wheat or another grain, but God gives it a body as he wants and to each of the seeds its own body. Now, what the heck does that mean? What is he even talking about? It doesn't sound like he's even answering the question that was asked there. So when a farmer sows seeds, uh, he or she is making a present investment into a future reward, right? If I put a seed into the ground today, it might bear fruit down the road. That's the hope with a lot of disciplined effort in between. And so Paul uses this me metaphor to kind of describe us, the decisions that we make and the way that we live our lives uh, on earth are sown into our eternal future. And so in addressing these questions that are being asked by apparently the, the church members in Corinth about future heavenly bodies, Paul's like, okay, in terms of specifics, you won't know those answers until after you die. In fact, the kind of body that you'll receive, that's up to God, right? The way he said that there was, um, but God gives it a body as he wants. He's gonna figure that all out. But look at what Paul does tell us. He says, you are not sowing the body that will be. So we are not, our bodies are not the, the first investment bodily. In, we're, we're sowing into eternity, but it's not through our bodies. Our eternal bodies are not going to be refurbished versions of our earthly bodies. They will be completely different. Now, how is that? Look, Paul describes it here in verse 39. He says, not all flesh is the same flesh. There is one flesh for humans, another for animals, another for birds, and another for fish. There are 
heavenly bodies and earthly bodies, but the splendor of the heavenly bodies, your future resurrected body, is different from that of the earthly ones. There is a splendor of the sun, another of the moon, and another of the stars. In fact, one star differs from another star in splendor. Uh, So it is with the resurrection of the dead. And then he's going to describe here the difference. The, The earthly body is sown in corruption. The heavenly body is raised in incorruption. The earthly body is sown in dishonor. The heavenly body raised in glory. Sown in weakness, raised in power. Sown a natural body, raised a spiritual body is kind of the the way he describes it. Now, he uses that word corruption, corrupt things. We have a lot of corruption in our world here today. I was thinking about that when I was uh, reading articles about the Olympics. Um, The the corrupt things are, are flawed. They're characterized by dishonesty, lack of integrity. And so we as individuals and our world as a whole, there's corruption, right? That's because of our, our sin nature. And, and so he basically says, one day you will be resurrected into a heavenly body that has a different splendor than your earthly body. Splendor is like magnificence, like when something is splendid, it's just like, this is just fantastic. Um, and, and our earthly bodies definitely do have splendor, right? I think about that despite the, the consistent decay that my body endures, right? And, and yours are all the same. You think about the heart and the lungs and the brain and the bloodstream and the way everything works together. Our earthly bodies are magnificent. It's a miracle from God that our bodies ever work ever at all, right? But the splendor of the heavenly bodies, our future resurrected body, is different than that of our earthly bodies because our earthbound bodies are are broken. They're, They're corrupt because of the fact that sin has infected our world and each of us as individuals, um, our earthly bodies, they're sown in corruption and dishonor and weakness. For followers of Jesus, that's who Paul is addressing here in in his letter to the Corinthians, um, our resurrected heavenly bodies are going to be completely different, incorrupt, uh, raised in glory and power, sown a natural body, raised a spiritual one. To believe in the resurrection of the body means we believe that, that there is a future bodily resurrection into different bodies with a different splendor that all people will have. To believe in the life everlasting, that's the second part of the creed here today, means we believe that every person will live forever somewhere. In other words, once a person is resurrected into their new body, they are going to live for eternity, some with God in heaven and some without God in eternal torment. In fact, earlier in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul described the, the, the future eternal destiny for followers of Jesus as an absolutely incomparable eternal weight of glory that awaits Christians. That means you could try, if you wanted to, to compare it to something, but it's absolutely not possible for you to do that. 
It's incomparable. The, the glory is just beyond our comprehension. I would encourage you, there's a bunch of Bible verses that, that uh, use metaphors and, and different descriptions of this future. If you read some of the books of Revelation, Daniel, other places, go for it. Absolutely just unimaginable um, glory that awaits us. And now here he says more. First, uh, in 15, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, he says, Listen, I'm telling you a mystery. We will not all fall asleep but, or instead, we will all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised incorruptible. And we will be changed. For this corruptible uh, body must be clothed with incorruptibility, and this mortal body must be clothed with immortality. And so death is not the end of our existence as people. It's the beginning of our transformation into a new world. We will all be changed, right? Imagine a world with zero corruption, no dishonesty, no flawed motives, no backbiting, no divisiveness, no sin. One day, that shofar will blow, right? And just like that, boom, he says, in the twinkling of an eye, those who have died with Christ will be raised with Christ incorruptible and, he says, immortal. Because no sin means no death, right? Sin, Satan, and death, those are our enemy. Paul describes it this way, verse 54, he says, when this happens, when this corruptible body is clothed with incorruptibility and this mortal body is clothed with immortality, when, when, when the, that resurrection of the new body happens pressing towards eternity, then the saying that is written will take place. This promise from the book of, of Hosea, the prophet Hosea, here's the promise. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where death is your victory. Where death is your sting. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that's an awesome Bible verse right there. Today, the sting of death is real. I mean, it stings. Death is our enemy and it hurts so deeply. Every time somebody in our community loses their life, it's so much pain for the people, you know, it's concentric. I mean, it's just, it stings. It's part of our corrupt world. When that trumpet blows and we're transformed from our incorruptible mortal bodies into our, uh, from our corruptible mortal bodies into our incorruptible immortal ones, Death will be no more. Victory is ours in Christ. We'll be like, where are you now, death? Where's your sting now? Gone. The promise that God made in the book of Hosea will take place. Death will be swallowed up by victory and we will just shout, thanks be to God who gives us victory through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's what we're saying we believe when we say, I believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting.
Now, remember our question for today. Do you believe that really? What if we lived our lives today as though we really did believe that God will one day resurrect our bodies into an absolutely incomparable, glorious, eternal future? Think about it this way. A person who believes that the earthly life is all there is, that person would be understandably freaked out by their decaying body, right? They, they would be obsessed with, with worldly things, with making as much, uh, uh, you know, milking this life for as much as they possibly can. I think this is, by the way, why Paul addresses these topics in his letters to the Corinthians, because they were constantly known for being a people that were seduced and tempted by worldly things. As citizens of heaven, our mindset and our lifestyle should be very different. And so as we wrap up 1 Corinthians 15, and we're also going to look at chapter 5 of Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, we're going to answer this question from Paul's explanations here. What if we lived the amen of a commitment to these truths. When we say amen, we're saying, let's go live like we believe these things are true. Paul shares a, a ton of examples of how that life would look. And we're going to look uh, very briefly at, at six of those. There's actually five or six more, but, but, but uh, we'll, we'll look at just six here. First one would be, we're thankful. We're thankful. That's what Paul said here. We just read that verse in 1 Corinthians 15, 57. In light of the future, uh, the, the saying that is written that will take place, the victory that will happen in Christ, Paul says, but thanks be to God who has given us the victory through Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, if, if Jesus Christ has indeed given us victory over sin, Satan, and death so that we can be born again into a glorious life everlasting, we should drop to our knees and thank him over and over and over again for that. Secondly, we persevere. We persevere. Perseverance in the Bible is like, it's like choosing to trust God's sovereignty and grace regardless of the circumstances we face. And this is the exhortation that Paul gives here at the end of, of Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians 15. He says, therefore, in light of all that I've just said is true, my dear brothers and sisters, you fellow followers of Jesus, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the Lord's work because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Now, adversity has many faces and different levels of intensity, right? I'm not here to minimize any of the challenges that any of you face. What Paul is doing here is he's encouraging his fellow followers of Christ, his Christian family members, to place their adversity in its proper context. And so whether it's something silly, right, like my Wordle win streak got erased by the New York Times or whatever, you know. I was actually, I, I was reading this article and it was, people are all upset about this Wordle thing, right? And the, one of the words this week was uh, really a lot harder than some of the other ones. And this, they had this like Twitter responses. One person wrote, um, this is literally the worst day of my life. 
They couldn't, <laughs> they couldn't get the wordle. So whether it's something silly like that, uh, I'm sorry if your wordle is, is your thing, but um, I, I, uh, something irritating, right? We got irritating things like you're navigating the drop-off process at your kid's school, right? That kind of thing. Or something intensely traumatic, right? We, in our family here at RIV, we have a consistent rhythm of people dealing with illness and loss and divorce and loved ones who have passed away and, and, tra- and things that are, are legitimately horrible, tragic things. Whatever kind of adversity, remind yourself that you do indeed believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. That is our hope. So we're thankful and we persevere. We choose trust in the face of adversity. Thirdly, we long for our true home. We're going to switch over to 2 Corinthians chapter 5 for this one. In verse 1 he says, For we know that if our earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God, an eternal dwelling in the heavens, not made with hands. Indeed, we groan in this tent, desiring to put on our heavenly dwelling. So what Paul is is doing here is he's referring to our current bodies as earthly tents and our resurrected bodies as buildings from God, eternal dwellings in the heavens, not made with hands. And that's a good comparison because tents are temporary living spaces, right? Um, And buildings are permanent homes. Anyone who's slept in a tent knows that groan that Paul is describing here of wishing that you were in a building is basically the idea, right? In fact, I've spent roughly 30 nights overnight sleeping in a tent and every one of those nights, all I could think about was, I wish I was in my own bed at my home, in, the, in a building, right? That's why they have buildings. Um, and so it should be with us, right? We're longing for our eternal, permanent home, also living in the reality that right now we're in our temporary uh, earthly tents, So we're thankful, we persevere, we long for our true home, we aim to please God. Look what Paul says here in verse 8. He says, in fact, we're confident we would prefer to be away from the body and at home with Lord. Right? That's, That's our, we acknowledge that. Therefore, whether we are at home or away, we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. And so as much as we might want to just throw off our earthly tents and be at home with the Lord, we're not. Not yet. God has more for us to be doing and living here in the meantime. While we eagerly await for that trumpet to blow, he says we make it our aim to be pleasing to him. To me, it's like an engaged couple who can't wait to get married, right? How do they live in the meantime? Do they ignore each other? No. Uh, Quite the contrary. If you've ever been around a couple like that, it's a little, you know, like... They spend all their time, if you're one of those, love you, Can't, uh, <laughs> congratulations, uh, but we're all a little disarmed by the amount of time you spend talking about one another, thinking about one another, right? They make it their aim to please each other until that day when they can be in their home together. 
Fifthly, we persuade others about Jesus. Verse 10. This is really super convicting. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. Therefore, since we know the fear of the Lord, we try to persuade people about Jesus. When we're confronted with death, when our earthly tents or the earthly tents of the people that we love are failing or have failed, what matters most is our eternal destiny. In fact, in John 11, Jesus comes to Martha after her brother Lazarus has died. And in that moment, Jesus could have said anything he wanted to her to comfort her. And this conversation is so remarkable. Jesus says, you know, Martha, your brother will rise again. That's what Jesus said. Martha said, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. This is before, like 150 years before the Apostles' Creed was written. Martha knows what's true here. Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me, even if he dies, will live. Everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this, Martha? She says, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who comes into the world. And Martha believes, takes comfort for her brother's sake in her belief that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God. Do you believe that? That is the question of our life here on this earth. Everyone will be resurrected into a new body. And all will appear before the judgment seat of Jesus Christ. And everyone who lives and believes in Jesus will never die. Paul believes that. Do you? He says, since we know this, we should be trying to persuade people about it. That's why here at Riverview, we invite you to know and enjoy Jesus as we stumble together in our pursuit to love like Jesus. Because we believe so deeply that Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Lastly, in verse 18, we are ministers of reconciliation, ambassadors to a broken world. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your role on earth between now and when you die is not simply to exist and try to be a good person and kind of you know coast into your eternal future. You have a job title, <laughs> and a job description, and your role is, is mission critical. Look at what he says here in, in verse 18. Everything is from God who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf. Be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So an ambassador, right, is a person sent by their home country into a foreign country 
for the purpose of representing the interests of their home country in that foreign country. The best ambassadors represent their, their home country, not just with their words, but with their lives, right? Like if you send an ambassador over to another country and they're always drunk and they never show up on time and people will be like, that whole country is probably like this person, right? That's the bad ambassador. When, when my son Jay, he got this job at the Chick-fil-A, his title, job title was front room ambassador. <laughs> and anybody who knows Jay knows, oh, it's the perfect job for Jay because he is legitimately the best ambassador kind of person. His, he represents the whole of Chick-fil-A like in that front room. He's like the face, you know what I mean? He's the perfect guy for that. And as Christ ambassadors, we are sent from our home country, which is heaven, to a foreign country, which is earth, especially this cold center Michigan part, right? Really foreign country. The Bible says we're aliens here, and the purpose is reconciliation. Reconciliation is the restoration of what was once broken. Paul uses the word in the Greek, kata alasa, which means decisively change. That's what reconciliation is. The work of Christ on the cross affected a decisive change, making restoration possible between God and man. And as ambassadors for Christ, God makes his appeal to the world through the church, through the family of believers, through us. That's a remarkably risky strategy, I feel. We plead on Christ's behalf for people to be reconciled to God, and he uses us to make that happen in spite of us, right? We're all, you know, spiritually, we're all the same way my body is physically. We all need constant maintenance and care, and we're all breaking down. We all have struggles. We all are corrupt in our sin nature and our earthly tense, and that's all true. And yet God has said, I want you to promote Jesus in word and deed, Speak well of Jesus and represent him in the world so that people can see, right, what it's like to be from this other country. It means we seek decisive change toward restoration in our personal relationships, in our community, and in the world around us in order to model reconciliation. In an increasingly divided and broken world, what's more needed to be modeled than reconciliation, right? Do you believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting, really? If you do, walk out into that belief. Live the amen. Be thankful. Persevere. Long for your true home. And at the same time, while you're still here, aim to please God and persuade others about Jesus as ambassadors for Christ. Take up the ministry of reconciliation. Allow God to make his appeal through you. I'm gonna have the band come back up onto the stage at this time. We're gonna sing some more of this truth together as a church family. Before we do that, we're gonna end our time together today and our series as a whole, the way we began by reciting the Apostles' Creed together one final time. 
Uh, go ahead and stand if you would with me. Let's end this time with a, a little more punch in the amen, with a big amen uh, to just emphasize that we are not just saying these words, we are committing as a church family to living these truths together. Everybody ready? Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen.